Thank you, Elder Sherman, for leading us in communion. And thank you, Dr. Jewell, for leading us in worship. For not only leading us to the throne the way you do so masterfully, virtually every week when you're leading us, but also for showing us how to worship in and through our pain. I'm so glad that you're not a fair weather worshiper. Thank you, Dr. Jewel, for showing us how to be a yet praiser. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. We love you. We love Terrence. We continue to pray for you and for your family. Um, you are not alone. We're with you. And we thank God for you. I was able to attend the homegoing service of Terrence's younger brother. And his mother asked if I would read from Psalm 90. And I was able to read the scripture. But before I did that, I said that death was undefeated. It was undefeated for millenniums until death ran into Jesus Christ and Jesus defeated death through his resurrection. So Jesus, our resurrected Savior, gives us hope in the midst of grief, which is why Paul said to the Thessalonian church that we are not those who grieve without hope, but no, we are those who grieve with hope because Jesus is alive and he is well. So we thank him that there is more to this life than this life. Uh, and he truly is the way maker because he made a way for us to live eternally with him in heaven. Amen. Thank, and that's good news. Amen, somebody. <laughs> that's good news. And Strong Tower, as you're turning in your Bibles to John chapter 7, I want to say to you that I miss you and that I love you. I miss you. So glad we were able to connect virtually as much as we've been able to do so over this past year, Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And every now and then for when you would come by the church with drive-bys or helping out with the food bank, or if I would see you out and about, uh, I just miss you. And next Sunday is going to be special as we begin a new season in Strong Tower of meeting and gathering in this building, in this temple, this tabernacle, this, this house of God, um, as we begin this new phase coming out or coming through uh, the coronavirus. So tomorrow, look for a special email from Pastor Jerry, and we ask that you will register, if you plan on attending, that you will register immediately. Um, don't sit on it, don't wait and say, I'll do it later. Uh, but the sooner you let us know, uh, the better we will be able to make preparations for you as you come. So there's a seating chart and other things that will be a part of the registration. So please um, do your best to be expedient in returning that back to us. Amen, church? Amen. Well, I am humbled today that I get to stand behind this sacred desk and teach this sacred word to God's holy people. It's an awesome responsibility 
Uh, not many of you should presume to be teachers. That's why you had better be called if you're going to do something like this because those of us who, who teach are under stricter judgment before the Lord. God cares deeply about how we feed his sheep. His sheep that, as Elder Sherman said, are his masterpieces. His sheep that he uh, paid for with his life. And so as a pastor, it's very humbling to know that I'm going to be judged by how I have fed and even led God's sheep. Uh, but at the same time, I'm excited because I try not to make it too complicated. Here it is. I'm excited because I get to talk about Jesus for the next 35, 45 minutes. I get to talk about Jesus, and that excites me. And uh, this is not theoretical, what I'm about to talk about. Uh, talking about Jesus for me is empirical. It's personal. It's real. I love the Lord, and I'm so glad he loved me first and demonstrated his love for me in that while I was yet a sinner, Jesus died for Chris Williamson wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased, seated with him in heavenly places, filled and sealed with his Holy Spirit. Is there a witness out there in the virtual church? Can I? Because that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to testify. I'm about to witness through this scripture today. So let's begin reading at John chapter 7, verse 37, as we enter back into our series, Come As You Are. We took a little break during Black History Month, but now we're back into our series, Come As You Are, and we will stay in this series up through Resurrection Sunday morning. The Bible reads in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I call your attention to verse 37 where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So this morning, I'd like to preach with the help of the Holy Spirit and your prayers, a message entitled, Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that we get to be here. It's kind of like when the men were on the Mount of Transfiguration with you and you allowed your glory to just be unveiled momentarily where you outshone a new day, noonday sun. And Peter, James, and John said, it is good for us to be here. Oh God, thank you that today we got a, a glimpse of your glory. We got a glimpse, Lord, just to see you in a fresh way, in a real way. We need you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that through your word, we get to see your glory and hear of your power and even of your heart for all people to come to you. God, would you help me preach your word and would you help your people to hear your word and would you help all of us to apply your word? For without you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can do all things. I pray this prayer knowing that the devil is defeated. 
You rendered a massive death blow to his head on the cross and through your resurrection. So I thank you that I have authority today, the keys of the kingdom to even bind and loose. So Lord, I pray that you bind up any hindering spirit today in the name of Jesus and that, Lord, you would loose today love, joy, peace, hope, encouragement, resource, whatever your people need today. Would you open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for them that they nor I have room enough to receive? For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, before we exegete John 30. 7 verses 37 through 39, let's work on some of the context and let's go back to verse 1 of John chapter 7. Amen? The Bible reads, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. So do you see what I just read? Jesus has to change how he's walking about the people. So rather than hanging out in the hub of Jerusalem and Judea, which is in the south, he chooses to walk in the north, in Galilee, where he was brought up. He's not doing that because he's afraid to die. He just knows that there is a particular appointment that he must keep and make towards his death on Passover weekend. And so he is being wise. He is not being afraid. And later, if we had time today, we would even read how in chapter 7, his own brothers made fun of him. His own brothers did not believe in him because they saw that Jesus was becoming a national figure, that people were coming to him, believing in him, and he was even healing many people. But his own members of his house did not believe him and they ridiculed him. So if you're in a situation where you may happen to be the only believer in your house or in your family, you have a savior who can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. And Jesus did not let his brother's unbelief change him nor uh, sidetrack his mission because he would go up to the Feast of Tabernacles at his own time to do the will of the Lord. Now, the Bible lets us know that it is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the question we must ask is, what is the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, if you were a Jewish person living during the time of Jesus, you recognize that there were three annual feasts that Jews who had the ability were to come to Jerusalem in order to worship God through these three annual feasts. One feast was the, fast, the, the uh, uh, Feast of Passover. And so wherever you were, you expected to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And then following the Feast of Passover, uh, uh, Passover would be the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, where they would celebrate the harvest coming in. And then at the end of the year would be the final feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was also known as the Feast of Booths or Sukkoth in the Hebrew. And what that means is that when the Jews would come and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, 
they would put up small booths all through the city and outside of the city as a way to commemorate where the Lord had brought them from during the time of the wilderness wanderings. You remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt on their way to the promised land? Well, because of the people's unbelief, they turned a short trip into a 40-year trip. And so as they were in the wilderness, going in circles, they would have to stop and put down tents and sleep or tabernacles or booths. They would sleep, they'd get up, and they'd go marching for the next day, stop, put the booths down, put the tents up, and sleep, get up the next day and go. And so God delivered them through that as he took them into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder, listen to this, of God's faithfulness during a season when the people were not faithful to God. The reason why they were in the wilderness for 40 years is because of their unbelief. Yet their unbelief did not stop the Lord from ministering his grace and his mercy to them because he made sure that although they were in this place of disobedience for 40 years, they never went without having their needs met because he fed them every day with cornflakes from on high called manna. He also made sure their clothes did not wear out nor their sandals wear out on their feet. God took care of them. He was faithful when the people were not faithful. But not only that, he gave them water in this desert during this 40-year period every day that they needed water. And so this celebration was to look back at what the people of God endured and how God was faithful to provide for them. And if you recall some of the uh, story of when the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, there was this rock motif, this rock theme, uh, because they would go through moments where they would be tested about drinking water. Sometimes they would come upon a place and the water was bitter and Moses would have to throw a tree uh, trunk into the water so that the waters could be made sweet. So they would often be tested with water, but God would always come through and provide for them. And uh, uh, on two occasions in the book of Exodus chapter 17 and in the book of Numbers chapter 20, we see the Lord miraculously providing water for the people of Israel in the wilderness from a rock. That's right, from a rock. And so in Exodus chapter 17, uh, fresh out of Egypt, on their way to the promised land, they run up against the trial and the test that they don't have water to drink. So God tells Moses, take the rod, the rod of God in your hand, come before the people and strike the rock and water will come out of the rock. And so Moses did that and a miracle was performed and the people got to drink as well as their livestock. And then later as they got closer to entering the promised land, there was another test in trial where God was going to provide water for the people through a rock. And this time he told Moses, take the rod in your hand, but this time speak to the rock in the presence of the people and the rock will yield water for the entire congregation of Israel. But because Moses had a tough day, <laughs> Moses was a little upset with all of the belly aching, crying, complaining, moaning of the people. And the man who is known as being the most humble man on the face of the earth 
lost his temper on this particular day. So that just goes to show you now, uh, don't forget that your leader is human, uh, that your leader who has a strength, that strength can turn into a weakness. Because we know Moses had a little anger problem because he could kill an Egyptian with his bare hands, you know. But God tempered that anger and allowed him to be meek. But on this day in Numbers chapter 20, homeboy lost his temper. And rather than speaking to the rock, he struck the rock twice. Now, here's the mercy of the Lord. God still blessed in the midst of his disobedience because it was bigger than Moses. God wanted to minister water, life giving water to the people, but he also had to turn around and then confront and even uh, chastise his leader in front of everyone, saying that you did not hollow me in front of the people. You made it about you, Moses. So therefore, you will not be able to enter into the promised land. And in my mercy, I'll let you go up to the mountaintop and look over and see it, but you can't lead my people in. Joshua will do that. And so the reason why this is serious is because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, this rock that Moses struck was Jesus. And, and I'll read that for you a little bit later, but it was, it was a picture of Jesus who is the rock. And so we see during this feast of tabernacles, the people would assemble in these booths all week long for eight days thinking back about God's provision for them, but especially giving them water, miraculous water, through a rock. And so what the priests would do who minister in the temple, they would, with everyone in town for this feast, they would go to the pool of Siloam, and they would put a golden pitcher into the pool of Siloam and, and fill it with water, walk back to the temple, and then pour out the water on the altar once again as a sign of God's provision of water for the people of God. And it is in this setting that our Lord uses this sacred uh, 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 ritual that the people of God would do to declare to the people that he is the living water and that he is the rock that provides nourishment for the people of God. So there are three things I want us to see from the text today, and we'll start with number one, and that is Christ's invitation is a call to those who are thirsty. Christ's invitation for people to come as they were was a call for people who are thirsty. Look again with me at verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, this is the eighth day, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him or her come to me and drink. So Christ's invitation is a call to those who are thirsty. And as I mentioned, there, there was much uh, uh, symbolism with the rock because Israel literally got water from out of a rock on at least two recorded occasions in the Bible during their 40-year trek in the wilderness. And the Bible says in Psalm 78, verses 15 and 16, he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down 
like rivers. So this sounds like a God who is a way maker, a miracle worker. He knew that his people needed water and he provided water for them miraculously out of a rock. Now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because Paul comes along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's able to give us insight into this phenomenon, this miraculous occurrence that happened in the wilderness on at least two occasions. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Do you see that? Paul says when they drank from this rock, they were literally drinking from Christ because the rock is a type or a picture of Christ who is called the rock throughout scripture. But not only is he the rock, but he is the rock who provides miraculously for thirsty people. So when Jesus stands up uh, uh, in this ceremony during this week of celebration, and he says that if you are thirsty, Come to him, and he will not only give you water, but above all, he will give you living water. He was making a declaration that the people understood what he was saying. Because again, they were celebrating God's provision of natural water for them in the wilderness. And here comes this young rabbi saying, you think that's something? watching these priests get that water from the pool of Siloam for seven days and on the eighth day, pouring it out on the altar, water, 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 water. I tell you what, if anyone's thirsty, you come to me and drink and you will have eternal life. That's why when Jesus would minister during his time, the crowds were split. Some people thought he really was the Messiah. Some people thought he really was the Christ, the promised deliverer. Other people thought he was out of his mind. Other people thought he was crazy, even demon-possessed. And so the crowds were split then over who Jesus was, and the world is split today over who Jesus is. I just hope and pray you make the right decision. And sometimes uh, the way that you know you've made the right decision is when you come and get a taste. <laughs> when you get that first taste of the Lord, he will change your life. And so Jesus gives an invitation to all who are thirsty. Jesus invited any and everyone to come. Look at verse 37 again, because in it, it says, if anyone thirsts. So we see here the Lord who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see an open invitation to anyone and everyone who wants to come to him. Now, I'm not going to sit here and play a verbal gymnastics and games over the issue of free will and election right now. I just know that the Bible speaks of both, okay? And, and, and there are things about God, yet alone the word of God, that we as finite, limited, created, fallen beings, we will never understand. 
And so when we see free will, anyone who wants to come can come. But then later or earlier, rather, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him or her. So we see that there's free will from man and elective purposes from God. And these two truths run parallel in the kingdom of God without intersecting or contradicting one another. Somehow both are true. So I'm not going to sit here and play Calvinistic games on one side or go over here and play Arminian games on the other side as far as men who created these doctrines. I'm going to go to the Bible and I just thank God that he invites anybody who's thirsty to come. As a matter of fact, if you come and drink, it just may prove that you were chosen to come. If you don't come and drink, that may prove that you were not chosen to come because many are called, but few are chosen. I'm trying to stay in the book, but the good news is he invites us. It's the mystery of his grace. Come on and get a drink because you know that you're thirsty. You know that you're thirsty and you need someone to quench your thirst. You see, God made us to need natural water, and he made us, created us to need spiritual water. As a human being, we need natural water to survive. You can't go long. I can't go long without water. And water is still the best thing to consume as far as a liquid beverage out of all beverages. Water is the best. We all need water in order to survive. Your body and my body is made up of 60% of water. And your blood, my blood, is made up of 90% of water. So the vast majority of our makeup is water. So we constantly need water for our physical man or woman to survive. But then spiritually, God made us to need spiritual water. Spiritual water that can only come from him. Now, here's the deal, though. You got to watch out because there are a lot of people out here offering spiritual water, but it's not true spiritual water because this water is strange water. It's salty water. It's contaminated water. So you can't just drink all water that people bring to you. But when the Lord offers you water, you best believe it's pure. I don't know what kind of bottled water you drink. But man, I, I don't know what name. Some of this water costs $5 a bottle, but that water ain't as pure as the living water that Jesus offers to anyone who is thirsty that you might be able to survive. Now, this word thirst in the Greek language is in the present infinitive tense. So when Jesus talks about if anyone thirsts, it's in the present infinitive tense. What does that mean? The present infinitive tense speaks of continuous or habitual action. In other words, Jesus is saying, if anyone thirsts perpetually, if anyone thirsts continuously, if anyone thirsts uh, uh, as a habit, come on to me and drink. And again, in the natural realm, we thirst every day. We're told, once again, even encouraged to try to drink at least five bottles of water a day uh, because it's good to stay hydrated because when we get dehydrated, that can be a dangerous thing that will have you going to the hospital that they may pump fluids into your body. And if you stay dehydrated long enough, you may pass away. 
And so the Lord, again, built us, made us to need water, which is why we stay perpetually thirsty. And I'm going to put my man on blast. But before Elder Sherm came up to do communion, he must have hit his water bottle at least six or seven times. Now, 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 I hit mine. My water bottle is right there in my chair. I got a drink before I come up and preach because I'm going to be talking for a minute and, and my saliva is going to. Anyway, I don't need to get into all of that. But, but we get thirsty every single day. What happens after you work out? The first thing you do after all of this water comes out of your body through sweat is that you want to replenish your body again with water. Gatorade ain't the best drink. Uh, Coca-Cola surely is not the best drink. Get water to replenish your body again so that your kidneys and all the inner workings of your body can be restored. Water rejuvenates the body. And so the Lord knew. He says, I know you're going to be continually thirsty in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. The problem is we go to the wrong people, the wrong things in order to satisfy and quench our thirst, which is why we keep coming back empty and drained. But the Lord says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and I will give you water that is alive, water that is living. And I just want to know, I'm like, Lord, why in the world did you stand up on the last day, the great day of the feast, where people are seeing water poured out every day, going to the pool of Siloam? Why did you stand up on the last day of the feast and invite people to come to you to drink? Because Jesus says, I got to strike it while it's hot. Water is on your mind. Water is in front of y'all. I'm going to use that as an illustration to point people to myself and let them know that not only does the living water come out of me, but I am the rock from which the living water comes. So come to me that you might have this living water. Again, had I been there, I might have thought that this young preacher was a little out of his mind. How dare a mere human being Tell other human beings that if you come to me, your thirst will be satisfied. If you come to me, your thirst will be quenched. But here's what we know, thank God for biblical revelation, that Jesus was not just a mere human being. Yes, he was human, but he was also God. He was the God man. So he wasn't crazy. He was the Christ. And so whatever he offered, he could supply and provide. Because once you get a taste of the living water from Jesus, you are never the same. Once you get a taste of the miraculous elixir from the Savior God, you will never, ever be the same. So we need to be careful here because Jesus knew that once y'all come through this eight-day ceremony, this eight-day religious ritual, y'all are going to go home empty just like y'all went home empty last year. Yeah, we're putting booths up all around town. Yeah, we're celebrating that it's the final harvest of the year. Yeah, we're having fun in a sanctified Mardi Gras kind of way. Yeah, we're watching the priests do all this stuff with the water. But we go home not having had an interaction, not having had a personal encounter. But here comes the Messiah saying, if you come to me, you can leave ritual and step into a relationship. If you come 
to me. You can leave the emptiness of religion and have a true relationship with God through me. That'll touch you on the inside first and then spill on out to the outside. So Jesus is not only the way maker, but he's the chain breaker saying, I'm going to set you free from empty religion. I'm going to be the one to show you that all these things were pictures pointing to me. And now that I'm here, you don't need the types anymore. You don't need the shadow anymore. The real one is here, but you've got to come and drink. I'm giving you a choice. If you're thirsty, come on and drink. Now I go to the second point, that Christ's invitation is a continuous command to those who are thirsty. So not only is he inviting and calling for anyone who is thirsty, but according to the Greek tense, this is a continuous command to those who are thirsty. Because when he says in verse 37, if anyone thirsts continuously, if anyone thirsts uh, perpetually, let him come to me and drink. Let him come. So this is a different tense in the Greek And this is the present imperative tense. When he talked about being thirsty, that was the present infinitive tense. And now come to me is the present imperative tense. What's an imperative? It is a command or an order. So Jesus is not only giving a command, but it's also a command that's given in the continuous or repeated tense. So Jesus is saying, come To me, that's an order. But not only come to me, but keep on coming to me. Come to me and keep on coming to me. Oh, Christian, I got to talk to you for a minute. Some of us were sold a brand of gospel that says, all you have to do is say a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and you got a ticket on the J train, the Jesus train to go to heaven because you prayed a prayer. And God doesn't hear from you. You don't spend time with God. You're not intimate with God, but you go around telling people you go to church or you pray a prayer. Uh, Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to come to me if you're thirsty, but also you need to keep on coming to me because you're thirsty. All right. So, So coming to Christ is a way of life. It's not just saying I'm coming to him uh, so I can get out of hell free. Uh, I want to go to heaven, so I'm coming to him. Okay, that's how it begins, but that's not where it ends. So this invitation to come and drink is an imperative command that's in the present tense. Uh, uh, And then we also got to look at the fact that the word drink is in the same tense. When he tells the people to drink, it's also a present imperative command. So so he's commanding you to come. He's commanding you to drink. He's commanding you to come perpetually. He's commanding you to drink perpetually. Why is the Lord saying all of this? Here it is. If you come to Christ, he will quench your thirst. He will quench your thirst. If you come to Jesus as a sinner, as someone who doesn't know God, he will quench your thirst. And I'll talk about that in the third point in a minute, that when the Lord quenches your thirst, you'll never thirst again. And that is thirsting again for another savior. So so once you meet the real one, you will never go to a fake one. 
even if they come in his name, like he said in Matthew chapter 23, saying that they are the Christ. Uh, 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 uh. So, so when you really meet him, he quenches your thirst with God, where you know you've met God and you are satisfied with God. Have you made that decision? Uh, as Brother Jonathan quoted at the beginning of the service, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in him. Have you tasted him for yourself? That happened for me in 1984, growing up in the church, but I was thirsty as all get out, uh, getting baptized when I didn't know Jesus. I was thirsty, man. But when I met Jesus at a camp in the hills of Maryland, my thirst was quenched. So, 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 so let me say this again. If you come to Christ, he will quench your thirst and he will leave you thirsty for him. Oh, I said something right there. I got to go back and say that again. If you come to Christ, he will quench your thirst and he will leave you thirsty for him, which is why when Jesus says, when you come, you need to keep on coming. When you drink, you need to keep on drinking. Because when I came to Christ in 1984, he quenched my thirst, but he made me thirsty for him. Oh, thank you, Lord. And so I can never find satisfaction outside of him. So I got my first drink, eternal life changed my life. But every day since then, I got to get a drink that I may experience abundant life and a good life, a godly life, a blessed life. Because God made it this way, that just as I need natural water to survive, I need spiritual water to survive. And then he tells me that the spiritual water or the living water is the Holy Spirit that the Lord poured out on the day of Pentecost. You think the priest pouring out the water at the temple or something? No, when the head of the church pours out the Holy Spirit on any and all who come to Christ, the living water comes inside of you, living water bubbling, turning over in you. You are a changed person, but having the living water in your life, you still got to work with the living water because you can have the living water and still be an empty Christian. Oh, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself because if there's nothing in the well, there won't be anything in the bucket. No, the Holy Spirit is there, but we must activate him every day throughout the day by walking in the spirit. But when we're walking in the flesh, relying on ourselves or on other means to try to refresh us out here, we're going to be empty and dried up Christians when we don't have to be. My, my, my. And so, so if you come to Christ, he will quench your thirst and he will leave you thirsty for him. But here's the challenge every day. God knows that I'm a sheep and sheep are dumb animals. And sheep will try to act like they are the shepherd and like they don't need a shepherd to lead them beside still waters. Sheep are dumb enough to drink out of polluted waters and dirty water and contaminated water. And every day my heart drifts, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it 
prone to leave the God I love. And I start drinking from material things coming up empty. I start drinking from pride coming up empty. I start drinking from the ways of the world coming up empty because there's no way once you get satisfied in Jesus that anything else can satisfy you but Jesus. And so you get empty calories fooling around with stuff in the world, relying on yourself, and then I have to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I got to come back to the living water again and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need to drink afresh. But he knows I'm going to go astray not long after I get me a gulp or two because he knows my frame. He knows that I'm dust. But that's not an excuse for me to be dustier than I ought to be. But he knows that he's working with a work in progress. That's why just as the living water does not have an end to it, neither does his mercy have an end because God knows we're going to need every bit of it because we are some people that are in process. Says, oh my God. But, but there's something about the living water. When, when you drink it, it changes your life. There's nothing like it. Isaiah 12 verse 3 says, with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. So we must drink of Christ deeply and drink of Christ often. Come repetitively. Come to me and drink repetitively. Don't be the kind of Christian who think you got fire insurance and you don't need to come back and drink, that you don't need to be in a Bible study. You don't need to be in a fellowship. You don't need to be in a community of believers. Don't be that kind of believer because you just might wreck yourself if you don't check yourself. Because once you get a taste, you will keep coming back. Yeah, I stray, but I also keep coming back to the living water. My God. Mm, mm, mm. There's an old saying that says you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. And as a pastor, I've seen that now. You can lead a Christian to the living water, but you can't make a Christian drink the living water. Because a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives when we're falling and failing, it's because we're spiritually dehydrated. We're not being saturated in his presence. We're not being covered by the Lord. We're not being full of the Lord. And so I try to encourage folk, man, you need to spend time with God. You're coming here to get a word from me, but God wants to give you a word that a preacher or a cousin or a grandmother cannot give you. Don't rob yourself of an experience with God because you're too busy with work. You're too busy raising your family. You're too busy in the ministry that you can't go to the watering hole and spend time with the master. So I just want to encourage you, man, keep on coming and keep on drinking. Every week, my car needs a drink. Every week, my car needs a drink. It's called gasoline. Every week. And uh, I'm the kind of person that as I drive my car and it begins to get on E, I, I, I don't know why I do this. My, my family does not like this. I like to see how far I can go before my car run out of gas. Now, again, I don't know why I do that. Pray for your pastor. I don't have a gas can in my car. But, but see, I got the car that will even talk to you and tell you. It'll put the thing up that'll say 50 miles till empty. That's the indicator right there that the car needs something to drink. <laughs> and you need to go to the only place that it can get a drink, and that's the filling station or the gas station. But not me, though. <laughs> I like to see how far can I go <laughs> uh, on E. <laughs> I, I, I can make it. I, I can. And then my car will say 45 miles till empty. 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I can make it, though. I can go, man, I can go from here to Columbia, Tennessee. Okay, I, I don't know why I do this. Pray for me. And then my car will, will stop uh, giving me indicators. It'll go from 50, 45, 30, 25. And then after 25, it just puts up lines. Like, okay, you out here now. It don't tell me no more numbers. It's just like, you, you out here now. And I'm still passing filling stations, passing gas stations, talking about I can make it. Hey, Christian, guess what? Don't you be foolish like that in your spiritual walk, talking about I can make it, and you know you on spiritual E. You know you on E. For just as the physical body has indicators to tell you that you need to get a drink, your spiritual man or woman has indicators to tell you you need to get filled up. But we think, I can make it. I can go a little bit further. So when we run out and we're on the side, now you're calling pastor. Now you're calling the church. Now you're calling for, for AAA to come pick you up when you should have just stopped by the filling station and let the Lord fill you up a little bit. My God. Did anybody get that? I sure did. But let me go to this third and final point. Christ's invitation is a catalyst to serve those who are thirsty. Oh, I got to go back to the text. You've got to see this. Look at verse 38. He who believes in me, any believers out here, anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We said on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he would pour out the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is referenced as water in Scripture. And he will saturate us. He will fill us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. H how can we produce the spiritual fruits of the Spirit uh, unless we rely on the water, the life-giving water of the Spirit? So all of these metaphors we see of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is like, this is how this thing works. You must come to me to drink. And you must come to me continuously to drink. So if you're an unbeliever, come on and drink. And if you are a believer, keep on drinking from me. Because here's the deal. When I give you the Holy Spirit, yes, he is there to comfort you, refresh you, saturate you, fill you, lead you, guide you, and everything else the Bible says about him. But God did not give us the living water called the Holy Spirit for us to keep him to ourselves. Oh, my God. He did not give you the Holy Spirit so you can go away talking about, I got my vaccination. Uh, I got my shot. Uh, I got my drink. No, he gave you the Holy Spirit so that God might minister to other people through you by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's living water. <laughs> He's living water because God wants to come in you and God wants to work through you. But we got a lot of Christians who don't know how to administer drink to other people who minister the love and the fruit and the grace of the Holy Spirit to other people. Uh, uh, the one that Jesus, uh, uh, the, the, the Spirit came to glory Christ. We don't know how to allow the Holy Spirit to point people to Christ. All we're content on is getting a drink for ourselves. But if the living water is truly working in us, he will not only minister to us, he will minister through us. Oh, you don't believe me. You, you don't believe me. You say, Pastor, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I think I see that. Uh, Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
I think I see it, I think I see the point that you're making, that I should drink the Holy Spirit, but also I must give him out. I must drink in life, but I must also give life out. I I think I see that. Okay, if you don't see that enough, let me go back to John chapter 4. Let me go back to John chapter 4. He didn't just save you so that you could be saved. He didn't just give you the Holy Spirit so you could speak in tongues and shout and jump. He gave you the Holy Spirit that you might be a witness to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. And not just the witness of giving the gospel, that's first and foremost, but also the witness of ministering to other thirsty people. You are thirsty, but your thirst has been quenched. And all you got to do is go out and tell people who the living water is, who the rock is. He's empowered you to tell. Just like the old preacher used to say, I'm a hungry beggar who found bread. And I just go out and tell other folk how they can find bread. Uh, The bread of life is Jesus. The water of life is God. You've got some water. Now go tell somebody. Go minister to other people who are thirsty. Folk are thirsty out here, and they keep drinking things that's killing them. They keep going to things that's just destroying their lives. But he gave you hope. He gave me life, not just for ourselves, but to minister to someone else. Oh, John chapter 4. We're going to cover this, sister, in Bible study this month because it's Women's History Month on Wednesday night. But here's a little taste of this sister called the Samaritan woman. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So here Jesus is again using natural things to communicate spiritual truth and reality. They're at a well, Jacob's well. Jesus asked her for a drink. And, uh, and she's like, how you being a Jew going to ask me for some water because Jews and Samaritans don't have dealings? And Jesus says, listen here, honey, if you knew the person that was asking you for some water, you would have asked him for some water and I would have given you living water or the gift of God. Now watch this, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. What water is he talking about? The water that's in Jacob's well, because that's what she came to get in order to satisfy her body naturally. But that was also her identification religiously, Jacob's well. And so Jesus like, if you drink this water here again, this natural water, you're going to remain thirsty. That's what he says here. If you drink this stuff in the world, this stuff of religion, it's not going to satisfy you. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. So Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I will quench and satisfy your thirst to know God. But I will also create in you a thirst to want to keep on knowing and experiencing God. So I'll quench your thirst, but I'll make you thirsty for me. And so he says to this sister here, he says to all of us that if you drink this water that I give you, you will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus says this water got a kick 
in it. It's got a kick to it. This Holy Ghost water, this living life water here, this is eternal life water here. When you drink this water, you will not remain the same because I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to put the living God in you and you will not be the same. This water, he says, will be springing up. In other words, it's alive, it's moving. It's not water that's laying flat and still that has the capacity then to become disease. No, it's moving water, living water. It's gonna spring up in you, honey. Well, they continue to talk a little bit because Jesus says, "Uh, you you want this water? Go get your husband. Again, we'll cover this on Wednesday night and, and they get into a conversation about that and then the disciples show up and when the disciples show up, the atmosphere shifts. She leaves her water pots and goes into the city. But guess what though? Here's what I got to say to you. I love this. How do you know the living water took in her life? How do we know she took a drink of the living water? because we don't see her praying a prayer of salvation. How do we know? She took Jesus at his word that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the deliverer. How do we know that she got that living water? Well, when you read the rest of chapter four, this sister goes out into the city and she says, "Uh, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this not be the Christ? And so she went out and started sharing her faith without being told to do so. It was a natural overflow of the spirit because it wasn't religion pushing her to do evangelism. It was relationship and encounter with Christ that caused her to naturally do evangelism and to minister to thirsty folk that she knew, that she did life with, that she hung out with and probably slept with a bunch of them. She knew that they were just as thirsty as she was, but she met somebody at the well, thank you God, who changed her life life. And she went out and said, I got to tell some thirsty folk how they can become satisfied by the Messiah as well. So when the living water is in you, you're going to minister living water to thirsty people because God saved you that you might serve him. God saved you that you might minister. It's just not the ordained ministers who minister. It's all of God's children who are supposed to minister. But a lot of us don't minister living water to folk because once again, we're dry ourselves. We don't have anything to give to anyone because we're so used to always receiving and taking in. But we're not always thinking about how I can refresh and water other folk. How, remember how Paul said, I plant the seed? Apollos what? Watered the seed. God gives the increase. In order to water seeds, the living water has to be moving in us. Oh, my. Oh, man. This past week, I had one of them days when I woke up. You ever woke up and you were just kind of sideways? You just had an attitude. Um, and I knew it because the Holy Spirit was saying, you, you, you need to come before me now. Uh, you, you, you need to spend some time with me because I, I need to work on that attitude that you woke up with. So I got into the presence of the Lord and I drank from the wells of salvation. I, I drank. I was parched. I was dry, I was dehydrated, man, but I drank. I just got in his presence and I drank. 
I got up and did a mundane thing that I do virtually every day, and that's walk Lulu. I walk, I'm walking Lulu in my neighborhood. I'm just walking Lulu. And I'm thanking God he just gave me some water and helped me fix my attitude. And so, so I'm walking Lulu. Then one of my neighbors, who I never have conversations with, one of my neighbors, he comes out of the house and he starts talking to me. And he says to me, he says, uh, would you pray for my great-grandson who is in ICU, who was born with various defects? Would you pray for my grand?" And then he gave me the name of his grandson. And again, he and I never talk. We wave at each other, but we never talk. But on this day, you know, because you know how sometimes people say, pray for me, and you just walk away? See, I try to practice that when somebody say pray for me, I try to pray for them right there so that I don't forget to pray for them. I try to do unto others the way I want others to do unto me. So I said, man, let's pray right now in your yard. And so we started praying for the healing of his great-grandson. And every time I walk by his house since then, earlier this week, I pray for his grandson by name. But here's the deal. I believe had I not been saturated, had I not got myself before the Lord to have him minister to my thirstiness, to my barrenness, I don't know if I would have had anything to pour out to that guy, my neighbor, in that moment. Because I'm trying to minister to people as God ministers to and through me. But a lot of us, we would have just said, okay, uh, uh, okay, I'll pray for you. We're not always ready in season and out of season because we're not hydrated spiritually. Now, this is more than just, I'm going to get up in the morning and have a nice little prayer time. No, it begins there. Because how many of us get up in the morning and drink one bottle of water as if that's going to hold us for the rest of the day? Or one liquid as if that's going to hold us the rest of the day? No, we're drinking throughout the day because we get thirsty throughout the day. That's how it is when we walk with God. Yes, there should be some intense Set alone time with God to pray and read and meditate, but don't let that be the only time you talk to God during the day. Uh, you must practice the presence of God throughout the day. You must ask him to refresh you throughout the day, forgive you throughout the day. You're meditating on his word. And so this is a relationship, not a ritual. He died to set us free from ritual to bring us into relationship where we can get a drink whenever we want to get a drink. You ever been somewhere before COVID and you're thirsty and you go up to a water fountain and it don't work or they got a sign on it that says it's out of order. I'm here to tell you, when you go to the living water named Jesus, Christ, he's never out of order. He's always ready to fill you. He's always ready to refresh you as you repent and humble yourself and say, God, I need a touch. God, I need your grace. He'll saturate you. He'll fill you. That's why the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, because if you keep on drinking, you just might get drunk. If you oh, did you hear that? God wants us to drink from the wells of salvation. He wants us to submit to the Holy Spirit. Come to me. Keep on coming. Keep on drinking and you will be able to minister to other thirsty people who are in this world. Well, we saw three things about Christ's invitation. It was a call to those who are thirsty. It was a continuous command to those who are thirsty. And it was a catalyst to serve those 
who are thirsty. The point of this message is we are all thirsty people and Christ stands ready to satisfy us eternally, personally, and daily. He stands ready because when I get finished drinking, uh, preaching, first thing I'm going to do is drink my water because I'm thirsty. And God, again, he wants me to come to him and be excited to come to him just like I'm excited to get my water when I finish preaching. But to an unbeliever who may be watching and listening, you don't know the Lord. You go to church, but you are empty because you don't know the head of the church. His name is Jesus. And he's inviting you to come to him. How do you come to him? Just like the woman at the well, she engaged with him. He gave her the good news By faith, she received it. By faith, will you receive the good news that Jesus loves you? God loves you. He created you in his image with dignity and purpose and honor and worth. But because you've sinned and I've sinned, we've fallen short of his glory. And because he's a holy and just and righteous God, he must punish iniquity or sin. But because he's also a loving God, he punished his son in your place and in my place so that we could be forgiven and be with God. But you must believe that Jesus is the sacrifice for you. Otherwise, you'll try to live and perform for God and be righteous on your own, and that will never work. You must trust the righteous one who will even give you his righteousness when you trust him by faith. Will you drink the living water today? Will you say, Jesus, I need you. I'm thirsty. Come into my life, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I tell you, once you get the first taste, you will be satisfied. And he will make you thirsty for him, which would make you a believer. So to the believers, I need to say to you, will you keep coming to the living water? Will you keep drinking the living water? Will you be intentional to get alone with the Lord and let him saturate you and hydrate you every day throughout the day when you find yourself parched and tempted to turn to other things to satisfy your thirst? And then we always walk away saying, why did I drink from there? Why did I drink from that polluted place? But not only that, believer, when you drink, Might you drink with this in mind that God just might use me today to share some living water with someone else who's thirsty, especially an unbeliever, maybe even a believer, but he wants to minister through you to somebody. I can't do that. Yes, you can as you rely on the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that through you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Jesus, you stood up in that feast. You said, come on to me if you're thirsty. And I'm so glad, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the God who invites us to come and to drink of you and receive living water. Thank you for being the soul satisfier and the soul quencher. My God, you are the real thing. Forget Coca-Cola. Jesus, you are the real thing. I thank you, God. I pray, Lord that you would draw men and women to yourself, save some people, 
And Lord, saturate others. Refresh us today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.